and welcome to Dissecting Philosophy with Dr. McDonald. In this episode, we'll be getting stuck into and continuing on Herbert Marcuse's one-dimensional man, and this time having a look at chapter two, which is called The Closing of the Political Universe. So, overall, what we like to do as well is give a brief recap of what we've touched upon in the last episode, and then we'll get stuck into the themes of chapter two, which chapter two overall deals with how Marx's industrial society has changed in a contemporary society, which is not, of course, straight up to date, but rather deals with specifically 1960s society. How exactly has it moved on from Marx's period into the 1960s? So, incredibly fascinating discussion to get into. Then, the second half of chapter two really looks at Soviet Russia and communist society and also democratic society. And overall, one of the main themes that we have is that initially we think of these as two opposed forms of society. That is because you have two opposed ideologies to each other. You have ultimately communism on the one hand for Soviet Russia versus capitalism and democracy for America, for instance. But ultimately, one of the main arguments is going to be that what seems to be two separate forms of actual society actually, when we get down to have a look at it and have a good old discussion of it, there is a lot of similarities and comparisons that we can make, and we'll get into all that. So, let's go and have a recap of chapter one. So, chapter one overall dealt with the theme of totalitarian society. What was so significant about the idea of totalitarianism for Marcuse is that initially when we think of totalitarianism, we think about it in specifically the terms of Nazi Germany, or we think about it in terms of communist Russia, both totalitarian societies. What we don't think about is the way in which, as he says, post the defeat of Nazi Germany, there is still very much an overall totalitarian air, let's say, to how societies fundamentally run, and that ultimately there could be a return back into totalitarianism as well, because of how society is ultimately structured. So one of the ways in which totalitarianism works then is not just simply bracketing off into specifically political spheres, but rather looking at fundamentally how society itself is structured as being totalitarian. Why is that the case? Because as he says, the individual is controlled, is exposed to standardized required ways of behavior, standardized imposed values, standardized imposed needs. So therefore we go into this idea of a pattern of one-dimensional thought that he argues for, in which we have people and their behavior and their aspirations, ideas, 
and objectives are all ultimately the same. Everybody becomes clones of each other, is another good way of putting it. It removes all sense of creativity, all sense of thinking for ourselves, and the thoughts already done for us. What's the thought already done by? By the standards that's imposed onto us for behavior, values, as well as needs, as he says. So that's a nice brief recap into chapter one. Now let's get stuck into chapter two. When we have a look specifically, and quite a good chunk of chapter two deals with specifically Marx and how industrial period worked for Marxist society, and then exactly how do we move this into a contemporary context within the 1960s. So, we have, as it starts off, this look at specifically an industrial period of somebody toiling away in a factory and slaving away doing whatever it is that they do on a loom, all hard tack and gruel, as you would say, all hard labor, all hard at work. But now, as he says, within 1960 society, there is a contrast and a difference that's happened. What exactly is this contrast? Is that we've had an immense level of automation occur, and we've had ultimately an immense level of mechanization occur, and what exactly has happened then is that it's reduced the amount of energy expended in the labor, ultimately, for somebody producing the goods for whatever goods it would be so easy enough as example that would be like a car factory for instance incredible amount of automation that goes on within car plants and so forth during the period in which you can see you have this immense level of automation in order to build cars easy enough of an example so therefore it's no longer hand built anymore and what happens is you have the whole process of automation and you have machines ultimately help to construct and build cars, no longer solely done by hand. Easy enough example. Then we see there's a contrast in contemporary society with how Marx sees the industrial period because, as he sees, within the workers, as what Marx calls them as the proletariat, there's very much an identification of the worker with their own working conditions and environment and so forth. You're ultimately able to be quite mad ultimately at your situation because you feel all the strife, you feel all the struggle and so forth. People all identify themselves as part of this proletarian movement ultimately. But rather what's happened now in contemporary society in 1960 society, people identify themselves as part of their jobs. So that is to say, what overall job that they would be doing, that you would have people specifically identify themselves as being janitors, as being cooks, and so forth. So here we have a switch from specifically one person doing a job to suddenly now in 1960s, the person identifying with the job and with their whole personal identity is becoming inseparable from the job in itself. 
So quite an interesting contrast that works. Of course, now in contemporary society within 1960 societies, he says, not only do we have this relation into people identifying themselves with jobs, but also there's this relation into a collection of groups of friends and work colleagues that also happen. So if you have a janitor, you'll have a group of janitors, a group of cooks, a group of retail workers. What does all that do is ultimately we could see on the one hand, there's forming the societal groups of blue collar workers, white collar workers and so forth all happening within that. But once you have workers all talking to each other and all co-mingling and forming friendships and so forth, what ultimately happens and what's so interesting about what Mark Hughes says as well, they all start to share aspirations and goals with each other, but they also start to share the same aspirations and goals with each other. As you were saying, one of the key goals for people is to go and visit Disneyland, for example. And so regardless of whether you're a cook or, or you're a janitor and so forth, everybody will all share that same aspiration and goal to go and visit Disneyland. So we have this whole relation into groups, people identifying themselves with their jobs as well as sharing the same aspirations and goals. Then what's so key and crucial about this is that then people are integrated into the capitalist system. And that people identifying with their jobs and ultimately will serve to uphold company values and seek to do their best for the company. Even to the extent, and Marcuse gives a really interesting example here, of working together with colleagues in order to solve problems of production. So here we have, he says, people become so built into the company ethos, company values, that they care about the company to such an extent they're almost caring about the company like shareholders care about the company because they want the company to do well. So interestingly enough then, now we move on to another interest and dynamic and a change that's happened from industrial period into 60 society. What is that? And we've got a great quote as well. That is to say, within the industrial period in Marx, we have uh, an existing boss and worker dynamic. That's easy enough to say that the boss is very much the one that's in charge of the workers, and the workers can identify the boss as the one that's given them the orders and so forth. Easy enough. But now... What's happened in 60s society is that everything focuses upon a corporation and administration rather than a boss. And let's get into this lovely quote from pages 35 to 6. As it states, domination is transfigured into administration. The capitalist bosses and owners are losing their identity as responsible agents. They are assuming the function of bureaucrats in a corporate machine. Hatred and frustration are deprived of their specific target, and the technological veil conceals the pre-production of inequality and enslavement. With technical progress as its instrument, 
unfreedom in the sense of man's subjection to his productive apparatus is perpetuated and intensified in the forms of many liberties and comforts. The novel feature is the overwhelming rationality in this irrational enterprise, and the depth of the preconditioning which shapes the instinctual drives and aspirations of the individuals, and obscures the differences between false and true consciousness. For in reality, neither the utilization of administrative rather than the physical controls, hunger, personal dependence, force, nor the change in the character of heavy work, nor the assimilation of occupational classes, nor the equalization in the sphere of consumption, compensate for the fact that the decisions over life and death, over personal and national security, are made at places over which the individual have no control. The slaves of developed industrial civilization are sublimated slaves, but they are slaves for slavery is determined. So let's come back in to talk about this whole nature of being a worker within 60s society and how that's related into a slave-like nature for a minute. But for right now, what can we say is that within the traditional industrial period, we have the, ultimately the boss. He is the subject of all your hatred, all your frustration. But as Marcus is saying, what happens is now everything moves into the form of an administration and everything's focused upon the corporation, where also we can say that the workers as well as the bosses are subject to administrative procedures and conditions and so forth. But now there's a whole level of that in administration in which you have company values ultimately preconditioning people's behavior, what times your break time, breaking up exactly the work day for everybody and so on and everybody identifying with those values as well as what to do. And this is where Marcuse really builds upon this whole slave-like nature to our jobs. Why is that the case? Because people are slaves to the corporations and the decisions are made because people are blindly accepting the decisions without any form of resistance and without any questioning whatsoever. People therefore have a servitude to act as a cog in the machine and it precisely works overall as a system because people don't realize their own form of insignificance and form of subjugation. People are treated like machines, subject to laws of production, making sure that you get enough work done, which is then also applicable to bosses who are subject to the same laws of production, making sure that workers produce more and ultimately have get enough done for every single day. Quite interesting here is a nice way to think about it. 
through this level of production and being conformed to and preconditioned to accept it as well as the way in which basketball players are criticized in the same way of like a data machine and what is the one way in which you can try and criticize a basketball player is through that level of production and ultimately saying well are they scoring enough are they making enough layups mid-range shots three-pointers if not then how can they improve their overall ability to score in that given way how could they improve their ability to score where is the best places on the basketball court that they like to score in and therefore you have this immense level of money spent into data analysis as well for basketball teams as well as the amount of film review and all that stuff all trying to build upon and make basketball players better production out of them ultimately getting your money's worth for how much ever you're paying your basketball players for the team but another example of this as well is the way in which people's life become part of data management in and of itself as well. And one way of that is to think about the ways in which nutrition plays such a key part of our lives, almost to the extent of becoming paranoid of your own food in a given way. What exactly is the calories in the food? What exactly is the amount of saturated fats? how much nutritional value am I ultimately receiving out of my own food? And we have all this relation back again into treating food as part of this whole administrative task and part of data management for our own lives at the same time. So from this then we have another cracking quote which says, this is the pure form of servitude to exist as an instrument, as a thing. And this mode of existence is not abrogated, which is not done away with, if the thing is animated and chooses its material and intellectual food. If it does not feel its being a thing, if it is a pretty clean mobile thing, and that's from page 36 absolutely fantastic point because what exactly is Marcuse trying to say is that we have a form of servitude ultimately people blindly accept and without any resistance without any question people are being cogs in the machine and ultimately through that you are happy and content in what you do and your work and therefore if you're happy and content you're not discontent you're not going to revolt in any given way and therefore, you also feel through your own sense of precondition through values that you're making your own choices about your own material and intellectual food and so forth. So then we start to build upon that whole idea of, well, why is there no revolution? And it builds upon these ideas of slave-like mentality and slave-like attitude that we have built upon so far, as he says from page 53 there is no reason to insist on self-determination if the administrative life is the comfortable and even the good life with quotation marks around good there if the individuals are satisfied to the point of happiness 
with the goods and services handed down to them by the administration, why should they insist on different institutions for a different production of different values and services? And if the individuals are preconditioned so that the satisfying goods also include thoughts, feelings and aspirations, well, why would they wish to think, feel and imagine for themselves? True, the material and mental commodities offered may be bad, wasteful rubbish, but Geist and knowledge are no telling arguments against the satisfaction of needs. And really, that's where we have the whole relation back into Marx again. We have the traditional whole Marxist argument, how are you free from your own situation and so forth what can the workers do all unite have consciousness of their own horrible things that's happening to them everybody bands together everybody fights for their own better working conditions as it says at the end of the communist manifesto workers of the world unite ultimately you've got nothing to lose but your your chains everybody can therefore go and fight for their own freedom and better working conditions and so forth. Here you have with the 1960 society, Marcus is saying, we have with the level of administration, preconditioning of our thoughts, feelings, aspirations, therefore our capacity to think itself is taken away from us. So therefore we have no need to think for ourselves. All that process is done for us as well as saying, well, what exactly makes a good life for us is then also something that's told to us through the administration. This is what makes up an ultimately good life. These are ultimately good things for people to have, and everybody should go and aspire to have them. Another good way of putting it is, if happiness is ultimately said to us is to go and visit Walt Disney World again, then we should be pretty freaking happy in trying to achieve that goal and then be pretty happy when we've actually achieved the goal of visiting Disneyland in the first place. And also in the basic everyday sense of it as well, happiness is told to us of drinking a Coca-Cola, therefore we should go and aspire to drink the Coca-Cola and be pretty freaking happy once we have it at the same time. That's all what we're preconditioned to accept as the forms of happiness, what is told to us. So next then, let's move from how things have changed from an industrial period in Marx's time into the 1960s to now having a look at Soviet Russian communist society and then developing then our comparisons to democratic society is the other half of chapter two. So for Soviet Russian society then as Marcuse says, in Soviet Russian society, people remain in a slave-like state according to which people have to have the need to liberate themselves. Why is this? Because the ideology enables individuals, that is slaves again with quotation marks around it, to liberate themselves through the act of being able to learn and see and think of what's going on and how they can act in order to change it. And everybody having to 
act in order to be free and in order to attain their freedom. So what is another way of saying those lovely notes that I wrote to myself there as well is that within communist society for Soviet Russia, then we have the overall enemy of capitalist society. What is the ideology going to teach us that we are ultimately slaves to various forms of capitalist society? What must we free ourselves from capitalist society? What does the ideology make us aware of? Precisely all the different horrible ways in which capitalism functions. And therefore we must liberate ourselves from that and move towards a communist overall mindset and therefore everybody working together as a collective in order to free ourselves from capitalism. And then also we have this whole relation into liberation comes from what people lack and are without and therefore what do you have and are fighting for is given to them based upon orders from above again an administration. So a great example of this, to back all this up, is an example that actually Mark Hughes doesn't talk about, but is specifically the Stakhanov system, and that is based upon Russian miner Alexei Stakhanov. And who exactly is Alexei Stakhanov? Is a man who thought one day, here we have a massive big quota of coal that we need, I'm going to go out and figure out a way that I can go and and get an absolute vast quantity of coal and which he did and he's absolutely praised and treated as a hero for his ability to achieve an absolute vast quantity of coal well over and above his quota. Then we have Alexei Stakhanov act as a model ultimately for all coal miners and all workers in general for this is exactly how everybody should work within Soviet society. Why? Because when you do all this fantastic work, you're not only doing fantastic work for yourself, you're also doing fantastic work for the country at the same time. And so, interestingly enough, then we have built into the ideology from that given point, we are liberating ourselves from the past, from also capitalism and monarchical society in communist Russia, moving us, liberating us for doing the benefit of the country and ultimately communism as a whole. But here's what the interesting thing comes from for what Marcuse wants to say is that we still have a slave-like nature happen within the Soviet workers. Why? Is because they're preconditioned to be a slave because they act according to a predefined role that's been given to them. And they're content in this role. So if you think about it as well, it's almost like another way of saying that line that's also attributed to William Shakespeare, the whole world's a stage. In this given way, the world is a stage because what does everybody have is a role to fill. And that role is for you to be a coal miner, for one example, for communist Russia. But within that given role, people are content and people are not ultimately in a state of discontent and want to revolt anymore because everybody's quite happy to work away, 
within the overall stacking of system doing for the benefit of the country. Then we have a comparison made, interestingly enough, into democratic society. Why is that? Because as we've just said not that long ago, within democratic society, people are equally remaining within a slave-like mentality. Because we have also, within democratic society, people are sold the illusion that they're free, that's they're free to choose what they want and what they think, but actually, as we said, people are preconditioned for their role in society, that is, people and their desires are preconditioned, so actually you're not free because how you think and what you choose is all determined out with your control. Also, what's one of the preconditions for the role in society? Everybody has the desire to work for their benefit of their job, obviously, but also doing as much production within the job and also working for a promotion. Another thing that we're preconditioned is to buy things, which is obviously then benefiting companies based upon profit. As we said as well, our behavior is preconditioned as well as everything is also focused upon and determined by an administration. So this therefore also, as Marcuse says, strengthens the dependence upon corporations. Why is that? Because of their input into how things are run, as well as, of course, we ex have examples of the ways in which corporations play massive roles through just being corporate lobbyists, for example, in which American society is a great example of that, where we have specifically food quality regulations all thrown out of the window, <laughs> is a nice way of putting it, because within American foods, if you have like a quick YouTube search of the differences between what's in a an American Domino's pizza compared to a UK Domino's pizza, the amount of preservatives and additives and all the various different in cocktails ingredients they put in is so much more in a vast quantity compared to the much more simpler and basic UK pizza in comparison. So therefore we have that immense level into our precondition of how to think, how to behave, how to act, as well as that relation into administration. But also there's a really interesting comparison that Marcuse makes is that within both democratic and communist society, they share the same problem. Ultimately, what is that problem is that people are preconditioned to be a slave because they act according to a predefined role that's been given to them. And as we were saying, people are quite happy and content within their role. Also within democratic and communist societies, both focus upon the role of automation and technology. The democratic worker is also content to go to his work and work for promotions and so forth, whilst is the communist worker is quite happy to be content at his work and working away for the country. So we have quite a number of comparable points so far, as well as another comparable point that Marcuse makes is that both 
countries make use of an enemy. And the irony of that situation is, of course, if you're within 1960s American society, the enemy is communist Russia. And if you're in communist Russian society, the enemy is precisely capitalism. As he says here from a quote from page 55, free institutions compete with authoritarian ones in making the enemy a deadly force within the system. And this deadly force stimulates growth and initiative, not by virtue of the magnitude and economic impact of the defense sector, but by virtue of the fact that society as a whole becomes a defense society. For the enemy is permanent, he is not in the emergency situation, but in the normal state of affairs. He threatens in peace as much as in war, perhaps more than in war. He is thus being built into the system as a cohesive power. So therefore we have this whole level, be it within communist threat or within capitalist threat overall, having it as a stimulus within the economic impact within the country in and of itself. Why is that? Because one given way for American society would be this whole pressure on specifically, we could see it within the 1960s as well, of buying American products and avoiding foreign products. Everybody doing their part ultimately for the country as a whole by buying American and therefore having an immense effect upon the overall and magnitude, as he says as well from Marquis, and having the overall economic impact as well as we've just seen the immense amount of way in which you have within communist society because of that threat of capitalism and the enemy of capitalism therefore allows immense level of production within your workers coal miners and so forth to fight against the threat of capitalist society and everybody doing their part for communism within soviet russia so overall wrapping up then we've got quite a number of points to cover in traditional Marxist industrial society, there was a worker and boss dynamic. However, in 1960 society, people identify themselves with their jobs. Automation and technologies played a large role in people's jobs. People want to work for the company, uphold company values, seek to be promoted and do their best for the company. Bosses and workers do what the administration tells them. The workers are happy and content, so there is no feelings of discontent and revolt. And people are slaves to the corporation and decisions that are made because people blindly accept them without any form of resistance and without any questioning. Then for in relation to communist and democratic capitalist society we said that both democratic and communist societies share the same problem that people are preconditioned to be a slave because they act according to a predefined role that's been given to them and are happy and content in their predefined roles both democratic societies and communist societies focus upon the use of automation and technology and we said the democratic worker is happy and content to go to work and to work for promotions, whilst is the communist worker is quite happy and content to work for the country. 
So overall, as we see, it's a significant thing that what Mark Hughes is saying, because within the given time period in the 1960s, and specifically within this whole dynamic of the Cold War, that is, we have meant to be two diametrically opposed viewpoints and ideologies of capitalism and communism, that is that we can make comparable points between both and how societies function within them is very comparable despite the very different ideologies between the two. So in the next episode then we'll be continuing on reading through Marcuse's One Dimensional Man getting stuck into chapter 3. In the meanwhile feel free to drop me an email at my address at dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash dissectingphilosophy where there's a full discussion of Slavoj Zizek's Pandemic 1 as well as an ongoing discussion of his book Pandemic 2 which is dealing with coronavirus in our contemporary situation. The first episodes for those are completely free and the rest of the episodes for those are available under a £5 subscription or your regional equivalent. Feel free to also tip me a coffee at coffee.com forward slash dissecting philosophy ko-fi.com forward slash dissecting philosophy and lastly I'm on Twitter at I am a rubber man. Many thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time.